You're listening to the Just Jazz and Co podcast, the show where you hear the how, why, and what of ambitious careers with me, Just Jazz, and many guests. I'm a multi-passionate, wildly ambitious lover of tea and R&B. I'm also on a mission to guide more high achievers to the careers and lives they deeply desire through coaching. Yep, you heard me. Desire. No shame or secrets about it. Here, we boldly embrace ambition by owning, being, and doing more in our careers. And in each episode, we break down the barriers to creating something that will make you and everyone you know step back in awe while keeping it simple. So what are you waiting for? Let's dive into the episode. Hey folks, welcome to this week's episode of the Just Jazz and Co show. Today I have a guest with me, Manan Alexander. Hi Manan. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. How are you today? Just living the dream. (laughs) I love that. So folks, before we hit record, we were just talking about vibes. So we might just say vibes about 15 times per five minutes in this episode. Bear with us. It's okay. Right. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I'm Manan Alexander. I'm currently the operations lead at a B2B SaaS uh, startup called Command Bar. Uh, Very, very, very cool place to work, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, later, hopefully, because I really love my job. Um, I live in New York City, specifically in Brooklyn, but I'm originally from Midcoast, Maine. So super small town, lived all over the U.S. Uh, Now I live in New York. my dog, my husband, um, really into wine <laughs> and many hobbies. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, try to do a good balance of like work stuff. Um, really into operational efficiency, process, automation, documentation. Um, but in my personal life, all about just learning lots of stuff. Maybe actually in both, just, just learning mm-hmm. all the time learning new things. Uh, it's May right now. I'm going sailing this weekend. I haven't sailed like, like all like racing sailing. I haven't raced in 15 years, 12 years, something like that. So just both learning new things, relearning, you know, constant, constant journeying. So that's me. That is so cool. And I'm going to ask like this, a very London question. So you live in New York. Where do we go to do the racing? Yeah, so um, there is a marina right in Brooklyn Bridge Park on the East River. Um, they have, gosh, this is like embarrassing. I don't know. There's some sort of boats. They start with a J. Uh, they're about right, 26, cool. 24 to 26 feet long. Um, so it's like a skipper and then two to three crew. Um, in high school, I raced uh, 420s, which are about 12 feet. Someone's going to come at me in the comments about the actual length of the boat. But those are just uh, <laughs> skipper and crew. So I raced, I raced boats all through high school, um, never raced again in college or anything. And last, I don't know, maybe three months ago, I said, what am I doing with my life? I better go yeah. sailing again. So <laughs> I'm relearning how to sail, uh, which is really, uh, really fun. And um, you have to avoid a lot more ferries in the East River mm. than you do in Rockland, Maine. There's only one ferry in Rockland. There are many ferries in the East River. Yeah, I can imagine like tourist season, it's booming. I have a friend who lives in Brooklyn and she's just like, you need to come anytime between May and September. It's beautiful. And I'm just like, okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Violent agreement. I, yeah. yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> cool. Okay. So tell me a little bit around how you found yourself at this point in terms of just your career, right? So really that operational efficiency, working in tech, wearing awesome swag (laughs) to do with the company that you work with. Folks, before I hit record, I said like, love the sweater. And you were like, it's swag. She's just wearing corporate drip, folks. Like (laughs) this is what's happening. It's true. Um, Yeah. What was your journey to this point? Yeah. uh, Get ready for a soliloquy. Um, Because I I have quite that journey. (laughs) Um, I'm going to start back in high school because I think it's really Mm. relevant to how I ended up where I am. So in high school, I think like many people, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had a unique experience, both being from a very rural, small town, 
um, where I wasn't exposed to a ton of different professional jobs. Um, but also the fact that my dad was an entrepreneur and my mom um, is incredible. She is the first certified life coach in Maine. She's a hand weaver. Wow. She's a clinical aromatherapist. So I really grew up with um, amazing examples of work ethic, entrepreneurship, but I didn't really know what a job was or how going to college. My mom dropped out of college. My dad has a PhD. I didn't really understand how all these things connected into what you're supposed to do with your life. Mm -hmm. um, and so the only thing I could think of at 17 was to leave Maine. I just thought I, I have to have, I had to start somewhere, some requirements. So my requirement <laughs> was it cannot be in Maine. And I decided it had to be in California. Um, I did not get into any college that I applied to. So okay. I, <laughs> I went rolling admissions to California State University East Bay in Hayward, California, um, which is south of Oakland. Um, and I moved there with a mohawk, basically having never really been out of my 5,000-person town to a 30,000-person wow. commuter, mostly commuter school, um, super diverse. Uh, and I just learned a lot about the world uh, very quickly. I learned basically nothing in school. Um, very different kind of educational backgrounds of the folks mm. who were attending that school than my background had been. And I said, okay, well, this is maybe not what I was looking for academically, rigorously, et cetera. Um, what should I do next? I said, okay, I made my bed. I'll lay in it. I'll stay here. I'll transfer to, you know, a, another state school, you know, one of the UCs. Um, et cetera. And I came home, uh, for Christmas that year and my parents said, absolutely not. We're not paying out of state tuition <laughs> for you to <laughs> get whatever this education is. And I was told I needed to figure out something else to do. I didn't know this when I left. Mm -hmm. So all my stuff is still in California, which I eventually got. Wow. So I dropped out and I ended up finding a school that had uh, kind of rolling admissions, but uh, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, called St. John's College, which is the great book school. And St. John's is a about 500 per campus, two campuses, thousand person total in the whole, both schools, uh, non-elective, wow. four-year non-elective degree program. So you don't get to choose what you study. And that's what I'm so glad you clarified that because I'm just like my British is is like what is that it sounds very open <laughs> it's a so it is it is actually the opposite of very open it is extremely prescribed okay and you only read the great books uh which are a bunch of white men decided that a bunch of other white men wrote kind of like you know what founded western the thought great um and you know these are but you you know you start with homer and and our, you know, uh, Aristotle and Plato, and you read all the way up through Einstein and Heidegger. Um, of course, you know, Kant, Newton, you know, the, the hitters, the heavy hitters. Uh, it's four years of seminar where you read most of the books, four years of language. So we do ancient Greek and French. Um, so we can read in the original. Wow. We also do four years of what they call math. Um, but it's more theoretical math, kind of conceptual, the history of math and science. So you're reading Euclid's mm -hmm. theorems, you're reading Newton's Principia, you're really learning what they were thinking about. It's not necessarily about your ability to, to do complicated equations. Um, yeah. Three years of lab science where we try to recreate, you know, why everyone didn't understand how blood worked and how the heart worked, because if you're operating on dead or dissecting dead animals, you can't see the flaps in the heart. So we do that. Yeah. We try to put water through a sheep flock, et cetera. Um, and I loved this. This was a crazy school. It's kind of like Hogwarts. You're assigned to an intramural team. Like talk a lot yeah, about it feels like introspective, but also very interactive, very hands-on, but very like you're, like it just feels so immersive. Yes. And, you're, and you have to learn whatever is being taught. And mm. I was watching my friends go to school and you know, for theater and art and all sorts of really interesting, cool stuff, or or for math and science, and then not being required to take 
know, they had to take remedial math just to get through mm. their theater program, but that was it. They took one math class in four years or one writing, you know, writing for scientists class. Mm. And they never had to read a book again uh, for my science and math friends. And I felt that was so not in keeping with my values. And I really felt, I, I still feel that you need to be able to learn anything that's presented to you. Um, that's just mm. a kind of op- how I, how I view the world. And I think very much led me into operations and being a generalist and being able to pick up whatever's thrown at me was saying, Oh, I, I don't know anything about this subject matter, but I have to learn it. It's a, I have to be able to dialogue about it. It's not just pass the test. Yeah. But I have to be able to talk about it. Um, and I also learned the value of a tribe, you know, what, mm. when your community is around you, how that impacts you, your ability to be successful and to express yourself authentically. Um, every person at the school has gone through the same program. So when you go to a party mm. and you're talking to a sophomore and you're a senior, you can have a really real conversation with them about school, but you, you know what they're going through. I mean, I have yeah, so many memories of sitting on the quad and talking about, you know, masculinity in Odysseus with a freshman boy who was like really trying to figure himself out. <laughs> and it was great. It was just, it was just, just great. So, um, that's a little bit about how I kind of came to this feeling of, Oh, generalism has a place mm. in at least in academia. And it took me a little bit to figure out how to apply that interest in a mile wide and an inch deep to the, my professional career. And, I jumped around a lot. I went to grad school. I did a whole bunch of other stuff, but I really feel like that education, both the academic education and then the emotional education that I went through at St. John's really helped me figure retrospectively thinking about what I do now. Oh, it's, you know, Mm. I run five departments. There was air quotes on that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and I have to learn lots of different stuff, or at least I have to be able to talk about it because I'm responsible for them, even if they're not something that I would have said is my, I'm not a subject matter expert. Mm. I think that that is so, so, so huge because it is true. I think very early on, we're kind of taught that it's binary and because it's binary, you shouldn't waste your time on anything that doesn't fit in that trajectory. Right. Like I remember the angst when being what 16 year old and like and a lot of this is based on how the education system is set up in the UK where like they just don't have the budget to teach you all the things and you don't have the timetable space to learn all the things so you have to choose between having triple science and drama but the angst of people going I can't even look at that you know even if they were saying well you can add it as a fifth like you can do it as an extra course. And it's like, no, 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 I should focus all my energies on law. I should focus all my energies on history and RE because those are the three that university slash college want and nothing else. And then you kind of rob yourself of having that, that roundedness, that exploration that, you know, like you said, that sort of width, that breadth in terms of your career, because you, you've just zoomed in so quickly. And I get it because that's how it's structured in the UK for you to have to choose. So even myself years ago, it was probably only about seven years ago, that I discovered that it was a thing that you could like go to university in America. And like at the end, you figure out what degree you're graduating with based on what you got. And I remember my friend explaining it because she had left with essentially a double degree. And I was like, how the hell did you do? That sounds like a lot of hard work. She was just like, no, I just kept on choosing a lot of electives. And they were like, you've just got enough credits to have a whole degree in this area and a whole degree in that area. So you've got a double degree. And I was just like, oh, that feels so freeing that fit, like you didn't have to deny any part of yourself. And I think then translating that into the workplace when we realized that that experience has built a skill in you to see problems and solutions, not just like binary theory, copy paste. Oh, it doesn't copy paste. Ah, the world is melting. It's like that actual skill for you to like walk into a room with the confidence that I can learn anything you throw at me. And that is so valuable. Yeah, I, I think I think it's absolutely b- both of those things, and and mm. especially the flip side of that is also a benefit, which is 
I can learn stuff that I don't want to learn. It's so great to be excited about what you're passionate about and, and be able to learn that, you know, in your friend's example of just taking as many electives as they want. And mm. there were definitely classes that I was so excited about and I think at work too, projects that I get to take on and say, hey, I, I can learn this. I can take this on. I want to do this. And then equally important is the, oh, I have to do this, but I know I can do it because I had to do all this other stuff at school that was required, mm. even if it wasn't necessarily the stuff that, you know, I could never read Hegel again and it would be amazing. And I've had to read such a lame <laughs> philosophy joke, but I've had to read so much Hegel in my life <laughs> to just to, to be able to do the stuff that I wanted to do, like in grad school to, to write about who I wanted to write about. He mm. was a correspondent and a contemporary of Hegel and I couldn't have written about him if I didn't understand the conversation that was happening around the books I wanted to write about. And, you know, it's the same thing at work. You know, maybe there's one part of a project you're really excited about, but maybe you need to go learn a new skill or learn a tool that yeah. you're not so amped about because you know that it's important and you know that you have the strength to do that and not just kind of crumble under the weight of those expectations. Yeah huge it's like it's like a special type of resilience it's like intellectual resilience it's like you will not defeat me i will get to the other side of the joyous plains where i get to write about who i want to write about however i want to write about it and i will be free exactly <laughs> oh my gosh i think that that's so amazing and i think like thank you so much for taking us back to that point as well because i think there's so much that we see about our careers that when we put it into context it makes sense as to how you are the person you are sitting in front of me today. Less like you do what you do, but like who you are in terms of what lights you up and those values. And even having those values from quite a young age in terms of like the direction that you were going in as well. How did it feel when you, I guess, found the place in the world of work? Because I think there's a space of me where it's like, okay, so if you graduate with a degree like that, how do you then find a place that can hold all of that magic? And I, I guess you did mention you took some turns and some squiggles and stuff like that. So what was that like finding your, your puzzle place, I guess? Yeah, I think this actually goes back to something you were saying about the expectations of universities, of what you would look mm -hmm. like on paper to be accepted. Um, and I definitely felt when I was going into the workforce, I felt kind of like I was applying to college again, where I didn't really have the, whatever the thing is that you were supposed to have, or didn't do the AP class you were supposed to take, or whatever that was to get into the school that you wanted to get into. And when I started applying to jobs, it was rough. I really, mm -hmm. I, I took, I took about a year off between college and grad school for a variety of personal reasons. Uh, I did end up going to grad school. It was a one-year master's program in humanities, my bachelor's in liberal arts, just the most generic terms of all time. I quickly realized academia was not for me. I was hoping it would be because mm -hmm. that would have been really <laughs> just a nice oh, little yeah, transition. <laughs> yep. I said, okay, I guess, I guess I'll work in tech now. Sure. Um, and I kept applying to jobs, applying to jobs, interview after interview, uh, in my Chicago apartment that was very hot because of how cold the winter was. And I was right above the boiler room. So I did a lot of long sleeve shirt, no pants interviews because I would have just like sweated to death, like just would have died. Um, and I just, you know, never got that last round or I got to the last round, never got a job. And I finally, in kind of a bit of desperation, went to a job fair, which I didn't really even know mm like things and there was one I don't think it happens anymore it was called uncubed was specifically for startups um and they had one in Chicago and I said all right I guess I'll just go I want an iPad there actually which was really sweet but oh cool I went around talking to folks and just no one was hiring for what I thought I would be good at which I thought was kind of anything <laughs> Turns out you can't just walk up to someone and be like I can learn anything I'm amazing it, it's not a maybe at this point in my career, that's a selling point because I have a more yeah. professional experience. But with, I had retail job experience, I had hospitality experience, and I had a master's degree and people did not understand what 
they didn't have the okay they didn't have the vision you know yeah. they the vision for what i could become <laughs> and i ended up hanging out with this company that was not hiring for any they were only hiring for tech but they had sparkling rosé and i'm really into wine i was into wine then too and they were into wine. And after I did the rounds and couldn't find anybody who wanted to talk to me, I just hung <laughs> Let me out. Go with back this- and grab some rosé before I leave. Yeah. Like, yeah. So we iPad, just hung out. Rose. We just hung out and drank rosé. And I left and said, "Okay, well, at least it was fun." And I get an email the next day from one of the recruiters who was there, who said, "Hey, I know we said that we didn't have any jobs, but you were really great. We really loved hanging out with you." Um, maybe we need an office manager slash recruiting coordinator for our office in Soho in New York city. Are you interested in talking to us about it? Uh, Sure. And so I interviewed for this job that didn't really exist while I was in the car with my dad driving back from Chicago. I thought I was going home to Maine, ended up just going to New York pretty much. (laughs) And like starting this job, it was, it was really a kind of a crazy, crazy situation. Um, and in that role was my first kind of opportunity to show that I could wear a lot of hats. Um, yeah. I did a lot of jobs at that company and I met some of my best friends that I still have today there, but it became very quickly obvious to me that there were some toxic parts of the culture that I, in my mm-hmm. role, wasn't going to be able to separate myself from. And I had done that classic thing when you move to New York and you get an apartment that's maybe too expensive. And if you needed to maybe <laughs> take a, a lifestyle cut, to keep up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yep. So I, um, I actually just left New York completely. I quit my job and moved back to Maine. <laughs> just like, like, see that rent that I just paid. That is, that's it. Yeah. I'll be yeah, out. I'm done. Like, I'm out. If you yeah. find someone sooner for my room, like I'm yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I said, I'm out. I'm out. And I took a bit of a breather and I ended up uh, getting an entry-level job at Athena Health, which is a huge healthcare technology company. So I went from a series mm. A, I think I was a 40th person, 40th, yeah. 40 person company to a 5,000 plus multi-office international business. And that was a really great next step for me because I got to see both sides of the story, you know, what is it like to be on a scrappy team just trying to make it work in New York City? What is it like to be at a well-oiled machine? And I think really at, at Athena, I, I was able to flex my process uh, efficiency um, optimization muscle because when you have that many people, there's always n- new things that need to be documented or written down. And I worked on a really, I I found my love of workflows and, you know, swim lanes Mm. and, uh, you know, lucid chart or Visio, whatever, whatever tool you're using and was able to document just a ton of what we were doing so that onboarding new people would be easier so that we could work with our BPO partners, uh, overseas more easily. We could cut down on back and forth and just really thinking about efficiency process optimization. And that was not something that I had really ever seen done before um Mm. certainly not at a smaller organization it's not quite as prevalent um you know side side note asterisk it is the thing that i pride myself on today at bringing to small organizations is specifically flexing that muscle as early as possible um with documentation and process improvement but uh what did i do yeah worked at athena for a couple years got laid off when they got had a hostile takeover. <laughs> and at that point, I'd done a couple of different jobs there, which was yeah. uh, fun and you know, wide variety of, of education. And I think also they're really learning how easy it is to learn a product, um, not just, you know, instead of reading a book, really figuring out how, the, how a product works, which I didn't really know anything about prior to working at Athena, for a tech product mm-hmm. specifically. What did I do after that? I worked in an insurance company. <laughs> I moved to New York City again after saying I would never move back. Uh, ended up working at an insure tech company where I met my husband. So excellent, uh, excellent decision making <laughs> led me to that. And I had a couple different jobs uh, there, but same thing. Got to learn, in this case, a product that was both a tech product and product is what they call insurance. So an insurance product. 
I learned a lot about renewals and cancellations. And again, that muscle of just, if it's written down somewhere and I can read it, I could probably learn it. And then I could probably become the person who knows the most about it. Um, A lot of workflows, really huge workflows that I printed out (laughs) and taped all over the place. And I looked kind of like a little like Rain Man situation with like notes. I'm loving it though. I'm seeing like the stickies. I'm seeing like the sleeves are rolled up and somebody's just brought in coffee and you're just like, yeah, great. What do you think about this? I will send you, I will send you a PDF of this, of this workflow that I wrote is like the crown jewel of workflows. It is absolutely bonkers. Um, and it was so much fun to do. And then I decided to go back early stage. So I've worked in two early stage companies since then, one as a ops person for other early stage companies. So as a fractional Mm -hmm. ops lead, I had eight clients. Uh, so I ran operations for eight different startups over the last couple of years, saw a lot of different ways to do operations at small startups, a lot of different ways to work with founders. And one of my first clients was Command Bar. And now I work there full time, been about a year and a half, and it's so rad and I love it every day. <laughs> that's why I ended up where oh I am. Goodness. I don't know if that's the answer to your question. But yeah, no, that answers the question. I also journey. feel like this is low key a movie. Like, I'm like, is, is somebody listening to this episode just writing down the key points? And there's just lots of car journeys. Like, you when you, know, you watch a movie and there's like a thing they always come back to. In your story, I'm seeing the car journeys, especially the one with you interviewing while dad's driving. Because if that's like a non-headphone situation, dad must have been like... (laughs) Yeah, you know, you lose service, you're on the highway. I mean, it just... I have driven around a lot. I have driven up and down the East Coast many times, out to Chicago many times. Uh, Definitely have done some some serious driving, um, but some serious, you know, had some serious journeys as well. And amazing people kind of at every place regardless of the out- outcome of the job itself just really got yeah. exposed to a ton of different work and I think that for me tied back to that educational experience of just saying it doesn't really matter what the sector is or what my ownership at the company is in terms of mm. what am I the DRI of I feel just really confident that someone's written about it <laughs> probably go find the book and figure it out and be able to speak to it with some level of eloquence and hopefully be convincing enough that you know I can influence decision making This episode is brought to you by Just Jazz Private Coaching, the six-month one-to-one experience for high achievers to carve their unique careers free from burnout, overwhelm, and underwhelm. With challenging and curious conversations, we get knee-deep in all the things getting in the way of you having a hell-yeah career instead of a career that feels meh. If this sounds great to you, book a call today at justjazz.co forward slash coaching, where we will map out the what and how of working together. I think that's so huge because what you do, like I've worked at small startups where I was like employee number 42 and then worked at a slightly bigger San Francisco base that had just around 350 people. I haven't quite had the whole experience of like, I'm one of like 10,000 people globally. I haven't done that. Not sure if that will ever be me. If it happens, I'm going to say no to it. I am job hunting as we speak. But like when I think about what you do, your skills are usually urgently required And sometimes there are people that don't understand that it's required because we've stuck it together with tape. And as long as John knows what he's doing over there and Zara knows what she's doing over there and Sue's handling things over there will be fine. And then as they get more money, more traction, more customers, all the good things start to happen. They realize, oh, sticking it together with tape doesn't necessarily work out. But we've got these very disparate domains of expertise and there's no like I know I need to stick it together but I'm not the person to stick it together like even though I'm the COO even though I'm the CEO like I can't possibly hold that and I think there's a space of like scaling or uh, a sort of demarcation of sophistication when it comes to people's processes and I think it's something that's overlooked until it's like painful it's like no no wait you're actually hemorrhaging money slash productivity slash this is the only reason you had to push that launch back is because it's not connecting the dots aren't connected you haven't actually even mapped it out you just thought you're gonna hit a button and it goes wee um 
which I think like, again, kind of increases the importance of the generalist. And I think when I think about being a generalist early on in my career, it was confusing because like you said, there were no boxes for it. And like now in 2023, there are jobs, like I go to people's careers page and they're like, if you don't see anything that fits, we don't have anything there. Just drop us an email, which is great to see, but also quite daunting because the, I guess the hard work, you know, and I see that that's essentially what your career became is like rocking up the person who's like, I've got retail, got hospitality, but I can do anything. Like I can do all the anything, like put me in coach, like wherever you want to put me, I can do that. And then they kind of get a bit dubious and they're like, okay, I'm not really sure. And so then the labor kind of goes on you to kind of go here. Here's an illustration of like maybe three different anythings that I could do quite specifically. So then we end up kind of squeezing our generalist self into digestible bites, so to speak, until we can like Pokemon collect the experience around the different everything. Well, it's like I did this here. And while I was here, I did that and I did that. Um, And I'm saying this because I'm realizing it myself through listening to your story that actually if I worked out that that was the game that was to be played, I would feel less of a weirdo for less of my career. Because I, th- you feel it in every fiber of your body that this is good. Like I've got a superpower, but you treat me like a weirdo. And it's like, no, but I could like, I w- you're in business because you want to make money and grow your business. Wherever you put me, I'm going to help you do that. And it's like, hmm, are you sure though? Because you don't come templated and you don't have that thing that like the last person we hired had. So it's like the unknown is strange and it's scary. But in the meantime, we're just like, superpowers here superpowers hey superpowers me superpowers and it's not even like an arrogance it's just your superpower is how your brain works your superpower is how you've developed your your brain and your approach and your like stuff so yeah i'm just having i'm having a moment here folks i'm having a moment but your story inspired the moment and i i will round this off by saying that's why your journey should be a film well, I wanted to say as, as part of that, I also think I, I think there's also a moment in, in time right now with, with work where um, I definitely feel like I've seen the rise of the chief of staff, mm. um, especially in tech, um, which is a role that I resonates with me a lot. That's not my title. And I, I don't, I don't believe in titles, um, but I'm part of a chief of staff network. It's called the chief of staff network. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> It's been a great resource because what you end up finding is that generally people who work at smaller companies are dealing with the same stuff regardless of their title. And maybe people mm-hmm. working at larger organizations have, have different responsibilities, but the resourcing is the same. How do you present information? How do you prioritize? How do you strategize? You know, a lot of the questions that chiefs of staff at all size companies are asking are very similar, I think, to the questions that I ask myself about what we should be doing, you know, what I should be doing at work, what we should be doing at command bar. And I also think that for folks who find themselves in this position, I wish I had known that this was a thing more than two years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure it would have changed my journey necessarily, but I think it would have given me an ability to talk about the work that I do in a way that was more palatable. And as the little, I guess, story about that. I had a boss at a previous company who was, who was a great boss and really cared a lot about my professional development and gave me the title operations program manager. Mm. I said, what, what is that? I've never even heard that term. And because they'd worked at a lot of like larger organizations, they Mm. said, Oh, this this is a this is something that when you leave this company, someone will recognize this word. This will be a title that will identify you to a certain group of people who know what a program manager is. It's not a product yeah. manager. It's not a project manager. And I think that going back to that moment when I was a kid trying to figure out what do you even do is if you don't even have the language, you don't know what a program mm. manager is, you don't know what a chief of staff is, how do you even begin to sell yourself to people who may or may not know what those things are, but at least they give yeah. you a framework for being able to talk about your experience. And I think that that education, unfortunately, sometimes I think can only just be learned 
through hard work and, and, and right, you know, ending up with the right mentor and the, and the right job, but also trying to find hopefully other people or other communities that are talking about the stuff that resonates with you so that you can learn how to sell, you know, basically how to sell yourself mm-hmm. and how to find places where you belong and not put yourself, yeah. as you were saying earlier, put yourself into a box of a role that is not the right fit for you. You know, just because mm-hmm. you have customer success experience, for example, <laughs> does not mean that you should always work in customer success. It's so easy to fall into that trap of, well, I know how to do this. So this is what they want me to do. So I'm just going to do this forever because it's my thing, I guess. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so huge. And even what you said about like, just because it's what you've done at this point of us recording, I'm looking for jobs. And it's like, it's so interesting because I've been a community manager for the past two years, which is like a multi-dis... When I discovered these hybrid careers that they have a title, but really I'm like part content creator, part marketer, part people person, part product manager, part all of it. Um, and I keep meeting with my friends and they're just like, we're hiring for customer success. And I'm like, no, but I, I, I want to stay in community. And they're like, oh, okay. You sure? And I'm just like, yeah, I'm sure. Like, this is, this is the path now. Like the customer success in me never goes away, but it's like, this is the path. And it's so interesting because I started an interview process with a job and it actually like a friend called me up and just said, look, this is what's coming up let me just tell you about it. And if it sounds good, then I'll put you forward. And she like explained it. And I was like, oh my goodness, you weren't lying when you said it's perfect for me. Cause she literally DM me. I was like, I've got something for you that will be perfect. And I could tell she was like on the ceiling when we got on the court. And she was just like, okay, let me tell you about this thing. And I got up and I was like, oh, no, you weren't lying. This is like my customer success, my customer facing, my process side, my coaching and my community manager all wrapped in one. And it was to the point where that is literally how I described it to like my husband and to my friends. And they were just like, so what is the actual job title? I was like, that is so irrelevant. I get to use my superpowers. And I was just like, it exists. And I didn't need to jump into your box right? We got to speak the open language of, well, these are the tasks, these are the projects, these are the initiatives, these are the aims. And it just felt so ruining. It just felt so nice. And I just felt like, oh my gosh, we're here. Like I get to, I get to use more of it and more of it. Cause I think that's one thing that, again, you find it as a challenge when you're a journalist, even if you find a place that takes three out of five of your superpowers, it's still just like, can I live without not using the other two? oh, maybe they're not ready for me to use all five. So if these are the three that they'll take, then yeah, I'll take it and accept whatever job title that they're giving me or the the team that they're putting me in, the department they're putting me in. Um, and then also, I think inherently, and I can hear a lot of this in you sharing your journey, it's like, I'm going to land and expand. So you name me whatever you want to name me. You give me the initial projects and I'm, I'm just going to seep into the organization and do what I do. And it's going to be good for everybody. So let's not like sweat the small stuff. Let's, let's get the main stuff aligned, values, um, character, culture, all of that stuff, right? You can't be putting me a box in other ways. And also I think there's an element, especially when you know you have that type of superpower to connect the dots that it's a, I don't know, I take it as a kind of sacred thing where it's just like, do I care about you enough and believe that you care about me enough for me to do this for you? And that sounds like a weird thing to say because we're talking about work, right? And people are like, you get paid to do a job, do a job. But you're giving something that is quite unique. So there's a space of, I want to feel safe to take you on this journey. I want to feel safe to like, yeah, I'll put in the extra hours to get that thing across the line because I know you're happy with launching it like this, but I know if you just give me a few hours to tweak in the back end, you don't need to have the whole team on call when you hit launch or you don't need to have, you don't need to pay for this software and that one at the same time. We can move them, but just give me a moment to untangle it. Um, And I wonder what that's been like for you, like working in different environments, understanding, is this a place where I feel safe to contribute in this way? Yeah. I, when you were saying culture and values, I guess the folks on the recording can't see me nodding very vigorously. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I think it's so important. And I would take 
I guess the word I would use in place of safe, though, I think that's a really good one is, is mm. just trust um, mm. on, on both sides in terms of trust that if you give me this level of exposure and you let me see really how the sausage What's is made on? on all aspects yeah. of the company um, <laughs> that I, I can do, you know, I can do what I do to help you, uh, you both the probably your principal or your CEO, whoever you report to, or mm. the company at large, regardless of what size you're at. And then I think on the other side, also having the trust to say, hey, this project is not for me. I, I see why you think I would be a good fit for this, or I can yeah. get you to this place, maybe, but long term, this is a project that's not going to work for me. And you have to be able to do both because you can't just give, even if it's a company you love working for, you can't just mm. give forever. Um, and you need to be able to have a relationship with whomever you need to have that relationship with first and foremost with yourself probably, but then yeah. with somebody else <laughs> um, to, to, to say for whatever reason, maybe it's just that you're really not excited about it. <laughs> I think that's okay. You know, I don't, do want, don't to. want to. Do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I I really did that recently. I'm 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 pretty busy. I mean, everyone at our company is busy. Everyone's working really hard, and sometimes we just need to move stuff around so that the right person who might be more excited about something is working on it, and maybe take something off of their plate that they're not as excited about. Yeah. So that you can get the out, you know, the output that you, that you want. And I said to our CEO, Hey, this, this is just, a, I don't really understand why I'm on this project. And it was that classic, you know, well, you know, you're really good at getting things started and zero to one and mm -hmm. documenting. And I said, yeah, but when you gave me the project, you didn't say I was going to do that. You just said, now you own this. I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think I own this. And we worked it out and I said, okay, fine, I'll, I'll get this stood up. But you know, here's some other stuff that needs to, we need to hire someone to do this, or we need to figure mm -hmm. out a long-term owner of this project. This is, this project is not for me. And we, through a couple conversations, some internal conversations on a new hire, found someone actually internally to run the project. And I, I gave him a little bit of stuff to get started, but I was mm -hmm. so unenthusiastic about it. I, I really, I really didn't do my best job. Yeah. Um, and because I was just deprioritizing it against all my other work that I both needed to happen and I was excited about. And this person has taken this project and is just absolutely amazing job. Just yeah, doing the best job. And it is not something I think I would have thought this person would have been excited about either. Mm. And they're doing amazing. And I really think that sometimes also saying no with respect and trust and et cetera. Yeah. Also might give somebody else, you know, opens the door. Cause if you are a generalist, you do take on a lot of work for. Oh yeah. They know you can get it done. Like for so other people. Right. Yeah. You're the, you're the go-to person for stuff that, that they need to find places for in the organization. And I think mm. sometimes that can also be like a selfish task where yeah. you just say like, well, now all of this stuff is mine. And even if someone else might want to help or might want to do it or be interested <laughs> in moving into the space yeah. I, I own it. And so I think there can be upsides, not just to yourself, but to other people in the organization, if you're willing to maybe have a more realistic conversation about, about ownership. And I think it all ties back to trust because I can't just mm. say no, if my CEO doesn't trust that I'm saying no for hopefully the benefit of everybody <laughs> in the organization. Yeah. And then I would do it if I really had to, because we have a relationship, we have trust. So yeah. Anyways, command bar is great. Best place ever worked hands down ever <laughs> I love that though and I love that you're unashamed about that because I think it's important for people to see that it is possible um to find work that truly lights you up that you are excited about that you are trusted in and you extend trust to your organization you can have those transparent conversations and live in this reality where it's just like it's kind of enough for me to say that I'm just really not excited about it like on top of the fact that the capacity is stretched but I'm actually also really not excited about it and let's turn it around and go like who could get excited about this because you'll end up with again it's, it's like the special source you end up with something different because you love 
nothing more than to just like whiteboard on this solution for this thing, as opposed to, oh, I told them that I'd send over the initial thing by the end of the week. It's Thursday. Mm -mm. (laughs) Right. And then it just becomes like the eat the frog thing where it's just like, I'm just doing this because it is the most soul destroying part of my day. And then I can do fun stuff, Um, which I think is so huge. Also brings me on to a question I ask all my guests. What is your career teaching you right now? Yeah, it's such a great question. I think an interesting place that I'm at right now, and we we rescheduled this a few times, so it's it's I'm just reflecting also on how my answer would have been if we'd if we'd met a couple of months ago. And I'm actually really yeah. glad we're meeting now because I think I have a I have a better answer, but a, a different answer that I think uh-huh. might be more helpful for me to to think about <laughs> than, <laughs> than the previous versions of this. But so I'm in an interesting place right now where I do love my job, uh, but I'm not, and this is again in May, so we'll see what happens <laughs> when this comes out, but I'm not really that excited about a lot of the work that I'm doing because I still own stuff that I set up. And as a zero to one, I think of myself as kind of a zero to one person. Mm. I'm really in the 1.1, 1.2, 1.3 phase with a bunch of projects right now. That's not a place that super excites me. And one of the reasons why I hopefully come off as so very excited about my role is I had a conversation with my boss pretty recently where I just said, you know, I'm not going to say I'm bummed about my work. And he stopped me and said, Mm. you can be bummed. Oh, it's okay. And I said, okay, well then I'm pretty bummed. Like I'm just really not, there's some stuff I'm working on that does get me really excited, but generally I'm just doing knits. I'm just, you know, I've fixed that little thing on the budget forecast. I'm just going to improve this one report. going to make sure everyone gets paid. I own a bunch of different functions (laughs) and I'm not thrilled about a lot of that work. And Mm -hmm. we, so what I'm learning right now is one, how to sit in that space of uncomfortability. And I think this is a place that normally I would start looking for another job. And because I love a lot of other stuff about where I work, that's not even on my radar. Yeah. Unless someone wants to offer me like, you know, 500 K like come through, let's talk. But yeah, (laughs) (laughs) always, 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 always. Everyone's got that one where it's just like this number. Yeah. I don't even need to see a job. Description. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> so, yes. I, you know, I think my boss would be fine. He's like, great. Yeah. It'd be like, you, you're still thinking about it. You haven't already said. Yeah. yeah. What? <laughs> so yeah. So in terms of, so in terms of that, you know, it's the first and foremost thing is really sitting in this space of a space. I don't normally like to sit in. of just saying it's okay to not be excited about what I'm working on, but still be generally excited about yeah. the company that I'm working for and acknowledge that the work that I am doing ongoing is important and needs to happen, even if I'm not excited about the work. And then with that trust component, I think doing the work, it's all about doing the work, right? Oh my God. Mm. Self, self, self-work never ends. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> doing, doing the work to figure out what would be a good fit for me at, you know, in this role, a different role internally, what do I want the next six, 12 two years to look like? How does that fit into the company's vision for what the company is going to do? How do I maybe give and take if I want to stay here? If Mm. what I want to do might not make sense at regardless of what we end up doing. Um, And then also being able to say, okay, you know, maybe not everyone wants to think six, 12 months ahead at an early stage startup, but it's helpful for me and, and giving the space to do some thought exercises about what my role could look like, what would excite me. And so I'm, I'm really, lear- I guess I'm learning a couple different things. Um, yeah. But I think the most biggest thing is giving myself space to not be excited and also then sit in that and say, well, why? Yeah. You know, do I need, am I just an adrenaline junkie? Do I just need to, just, just need to be a crisis at every moment? Does everything need to be breaking in order for me you know, to feel excited, how, how great is it that nothing is broken right now? <laughs> <laughs> it's allowed My to feel like this. <laughs> because yeah. I did yeah. what I said I was going to do. 
and the processes exactly. of processing. <laughs> well, exactly. You know, I, sh- I should feel relieved and ex- I should yeah. feel good. Um, and also making sure that I check in with myself about, about that feeling. And yeah, yeah just doing a lot of self, I-, I guess my career right now is teaching me how to do some self reflection that I think previously I would not have been in a place emotionally and kind of psych- mm. in a psychologically safe and emotionally safe place to sit and do that work. And I'm, I'm yeah. very grateful to, to have made the choices that I've made to be at a place where I can do that work, both the work that needs to be done and then the self work that also needs to be done. Yeah. I think that's so huge. I think I, at the time, at this moment, I'm having lots of conversations with people about burnout, overwhelm and underwhelm. And a lot of people have been like, what the hell is underwhelm? And I was just like, um, it's when you've told your manager that like, this is cool, but like, I need more. I need a new challenge. I, like, I, I'm not being stretched. I'm not being like, you're wasting me, basically. Um, and when I explained that, they were just like, oh yeah, that's me. That's me right now. I was like, yeah, like we don't talk about it, but it's there. Um, especially if you consider yourself a high achiever, high performer, someone who is so motivated by learning and stretching and actually making that potential a reality. And I think there's a space where, because it's so uncomfortable to be there, it's so easy for us to like opt out of the information that's in that feeling. So where you're just like, this is information. I'm going to, I'm going to mind this. I'm going to like, I'm going to read and reread and I'm going to check in and I'm going to do all of that stuff and do that quite consciously because sometimes it is telling you something and it will tell you something quite specific, but quite often we don't, we don't sit still long enough to hear the full sentence. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I do this when I talk to my husband and I'm learning that this is connected to my high, high, highly suspected ADHD, but I assume the ending to his sentences and he's just like, babe, I wasn't actually going to say that. Like, just let me finish. And I'm like, yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cause I'd like to know what you want to say. But it's like, it's so hard for us to sit in that space of like, okay, I'm uncomfortable. Something doesn't feel right. Something else could probably feel righter. What could that writer be? What are the actual specific options? What would they feel like? We don't follow it all the way down. We just go, no, I need to stop feeling like this. So I'm out. Peace out. A-town down. We out. Like, mic drop. Boom. Yeah, and I would add to your point about over and underwhelmed with the, I think, I think it was from 10 things I hate about you or one of the mm. characters says, I know you can be overwhelmed and I know you can be underwhelmed, but can you ever just be whelmed? Mm. And I love that because I have been in roles where I felt what you're saying as your description about underwhelmed. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that for me right now, that's how I feel. I feel very, appreciated and Mm. that the work I do does matter. It impacts the whole team and really sitting, I guess, in the whelmed space of saying you can have a big impact. Your work Mm. can matter. People can value you and you cannot be excited about it. Yeah. And they're not the same. It's it's not not giving you a challenge. It's not that you're not busy or you're not Mm. being, you're not the right, you can still be the right person to do it. It can still be a challenge, but maybe it's not the challenge that you think you want or the challenge that has resonated with you previously because you've existed in this kind of fight or flight mode or, or whatever. That's what you're into. I mean, no cap. That's probably what I'm into. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I love, I love a crisis. You know, I, I worked at an insurance company during COVID. It was insane. Everything is a crisis. <laughs> Wild. Oh gosh. My husband works in insurance. That was what, and I took, for, I took that for granted completely. I was just like, oh, it's so nice to have you home. And he's just like, great. Yeah. I'll be online from seven till 7 PM because we're trying to figure out what this is. He's an actuary. So he's like the back end upper Yep. in the caves the of the yeah. yeah the money people the money people behind the money people that you think are the money people that's the space that he's playing in so they're not even talking about like the individual oh my goodness my my income's gone insurance or this has gone insurance they're talking like trillions and billions and like whole countries and economies so um yeah i totally get that and i think and i think that's an important thing to I guess highlight about the whelmed part because I've been whelmed in my career and been really 
I'm going to call it lucky enough. It shouldn't be a lucky thing, but that's the reality. To have a manager that I've been able to just say, look, I'm whelmed. This is not an alarm bell, but I just want to have a conversation. And they've gone, it's actually a good thing that you said this to me because we're working on something in the background. Let me just share my screen. You know, you're just like, should we share my Did you know we were going to have this conversation? I was like, let me just share my screen. Like, this is what we're kind of working on. These are some things that we know need to happen, like at a higher level, across departmental, da 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 um, I'll share this link with you. Have a look. Tell me what lights you up and we'll discuss it next one-to-one. I did that. He did that with two of other my of my other colleagues. We ended up in quite a predictable way. Now we see it in hindsight, choosing the things that lit us up and like looking at the other person's thing and being like, Ugh. No, couldn't do that, was it? And so we ended up just forming like an operations department where we each had our own swim lanes and we were all just so excited. And, you know, and also it come about, I'd probably say all of us, it come about because we had had that candid conversation to say, look, love working here, love what I do on the grander scheme of things, but I just want to sink my fe- teeth into like something new. Is is there anything that can be done? Like, is there anything happening? Like, these are some of the skills. These are the things that I love doing. Like if I could do more, that would be cool. Um, and like, so then it just flowed naturally and we came together as like, like a very interesting Power Rangers because also we had the great respect for the fact that I love the fact that that like, I love that for you. You know, it's just like, I love that for you. I love you to spend all day doing that because I never want to do it. Like you let me know when you're on PTO and like do that part of your job. I'll cover everything else. But that part, nah, get that up to date and put on out of office. Um, So I think, yeah, if you're listening to this, take heart. Like there are folks out there who will listen. They will not like get off of your one-to-one and like sound some crazy slack alarm to say, red flag, we have a churn, we have a leap. They'll just take it for what it is. Like a human being like, I feel like I'm on the edge of something that's new and something that's next and just want to have a conversation about it. Well, and I think you can take the the initiative. I'm, I'm all about managing up. We didn't mm. even talk about oh that. Oh my God, like 100%. Huge, feel very strongly. We have a whole other hour conversation about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and one thing that I, I'm not good at and wish I were better at, and, but always tell people they should do is writing your own job description, um, Mm. as an exercise. And instead of necessarily waiting for someone to tell you that they have something in the works that could resonate with you, um, not that you're going to get that job necessarily, but I think doing the work, especially if you are a generalist, especially if you have a varied background, really sitting and saying, what are the things that I'm excited about? And you can make it up. It could be, I want to do X and Y. You know, you're talking about that with your community manager role. It's mm. all sorts of other things. And, and you can put it together and then shop it around. See, yeah. see if maybe there's a company who literally needs exactly that, exactly those that three recipe. things. And I think it's also a really good just personal exercise of figuring out what are the parts of your job that you're excited about and that might be a role specifically, or it might be, yeah. oh, actually, I look at these things across all the different functions that I work in, and I really like this thing as a through line through all of them. Mm. Oh, I don't want to work in a specific department because, or I could be happy in any department because X or Y. And I think yeah. doing that work is really you know, helpful. Yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah, we could definitely have plenty more. Com- the managing up piece, I learned that the hard way. Um, and once that lesson was learned, it was never unlearned. I have taken that with me everywhere I go. Also, remembering that your managers are humans as well. Then yeah. they are holding so much information in their brain. They are not psychic. They do not know the inner nuances of your Tuesday afternoon. So let's 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 come to the party with a dish and a drink and like make it easy for them um, in yeah. some ways. Cause then it inherently makes it easier for us. But again, conversation for another day. Oh my goodness. So many conversations. Where can people connect with you and find out about your journey and your awesome, awesome work at Command Bar? Yeah. So I mostly am on LinkedIn and I guess if you want pictures of my dog and or wine that I occasionally beverage you can follow me on Instagram also <laughs> so I'm Manan Alexander on LinkedIn at Manan Alex on 
Instagram. It's not super exciting, but occasionally there's cute pics of dogs. So whatever floats your boat, however you like to, you know, receive information. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. If you're a visual person, we have boats and dogs over here. And for all the other things, hit me up on LinkedIn. Love it. We will include those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on Manan and sharing your story. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And I think one thing just to add, I know this is the end part, but um, I am also available to chat with folks, especially generalists or people who are trying to figure out what they're working on. Certainly not as a coach, um, but mostly as a sounding board. I've done a lot of different stuff and I, I'm I'm really open. I learn a lot in those conversations. And so uh, if anyone wanted to talk to me, they absolutely should should reach out amazing did you hear that folks so you now have something specific to dm as well don't don't just follow don't just be creepy like reach out and go like i listen to the podcast and i know your life story can we be friends thank you so much for adding that um i think it's so important for folks to know when we are open i'm the same as well you can dm me i'm a human i'm out here cool thank you Don't forget to reach out with any gems you took away. My DMs and inbox are always open and waiting to hear. And if you liked this episode, you should probably join the crew. So sign up to the Monday Memo to get weekly messages that put you back at the center of your ambitious career. With passion-filled musings created to educate and inspire, you'll have everything you need to fuel your ambitious career this year. Go to justjazz.co forward slash join and I'll see you there. Thank you.